I mean, I am so proud to be an American. Actually, she said I was about to take my own life. That you're not alone and that your brain is lying to you and that people do care about you and you will be missed if you're gone. I lost my daughter. She died by suicide. And I looked at him. I knew he was dead. And then I had to go treat the guy who shot him. And don't give up. Negu. N-E-G-U. Never, ever give up. Thank you for tuning in to this special series of Faith in Your Recovery. We're coming to you live from Lucas Oil Stadium at the Fire Department International Conference. We hope you enjoy these stories from the front lines. Stay tuned and God bless. Welcome to Faith in Your Recovery. We're glad you've joined us today. I have a guest with us by the name of Mr. Dean Jewell. Welcome, Dean. Thanks. Nice to be here. Well, we look forward to hearing what you have to share. You're from here in Indianapolis, correct? Yes, I am. I've lived here like 40 plus years. All right. All right. Uh, along with that, tell us your your role in life right now. So um, I'm a guy that is in recovery um, for 40 years. And um, I work with a treatment center. We do substance use disorder, or um, as like an old guy like me says, we treat folks that have difficulty with drug and, uh, drugs and alcohol. So I work for a treatment center. Part of my job is to let people know who we are and what we do. Um, the other part of my job is to do some groups, um, do some one-on-one stuff. Um, and as a guy in recovery, I think maybe the biggest part of my life is uh, spent trying to help people find a path, help them stay on it. And for me, uh, I'm a Christian, and so part of that is introducing them to uh, to God and uh, the miracles that he's done in my life. Well, listen, we want to hear more of those details later, later your professional aspect. But let's jump back early into life. Let's go back prior to your alcoholism, okay? What was life like for you then? What were some of the experiences? Yeah, what were you going through? So I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Um, uh, my my mom and dad uh, were both employed. Uh, my mother actually uh, skated in the ice capades. Ah. So we spent a lot of our lives uh, at ice rinks. Um, we actually put on shows. I competed a little bit. You were um, a skater. I was. I was a figure skater. And I'm not going to lie, as, as a young boy um, in the 60s, uh, I got made fun of a lot. I, um, yes. But I was pretty good at it because I was you know skating as a young boy. And my mom was a pretty good teacher because she was a, a great skater. Um, so um, I would say the the things that impacted me, um, I don't know, some good, some bad. My, my, my family wasn't around a lot. Um, we were not particularly spiritual. Um, we were kind to go into a church, but there was nothing that really connected us so much to God. It was... Uh, honestly kind of an obligatory thing um, I'm grateful for it because you know I learned some stuff planted the seed yes sir and um, so I'm grateful for that I have a, I have a brother um, and uh, my one of my grandmothers lived with us um, and so I spent all of my uh, young life in Dayton Ohio until I went away to college uh, but also in Ohio Okay, okay. Where'd you go to college? Went to college at Bowling Green State University. Bowling Green, yes, yes. I'm from the Ball State area. And oh, I know there's yeah. been a competition there for years. In the okay. back, yes, sir. Yes, yes, yeah. the Mid-American Conference. Yes. You betcha. All right, so what started the downhill spiral for you that got you into that alcoholism? How'd that begin? So, um, I mean, I, some very specifics for me. I'm 13 years old. My parents both drank alcoholically. Um, 
And it wasn't like our household was awful and it, uh, it wasn't like they treated me terribly. They just weren't around and when they were around they were drinking. And so I'm 13 years old and we're having a party like we had a lot of. My dad makes a punch. Um, and of course, if you have punch, you have to have you know some alcohol in it. And I start sneaking drinks out of it. And I very quickly start to kind of get a buzz. Um, I was a very shy, kind of geeky kid. Maybe all 13-year-old boys are, but I feel like I was in particularly that way. And uh, I don't know, I had two or three glasses of the punch and all of a sudden I felt pretty good. Um, I drank a whole bunch of it, got drunk, liked it a lot. Um, the next day, uh, when my dad discovered that's what I had done, he was very angry with me. Um, kind of made me work like a crazy man all day, sort of as a, I guess, a punishment. Um, but all I could think about was, wonder if there's any of that punch left. I'd like to drink some more. And so I started sneaking. I mean, we had a lot of alcohol in the house, and I just started sneaking drinks. And it got to a point where I'm drinking pretty much every day at 14, 15 years old. And then had some friends that introduced me to drugs. Uh, Back then we called it pot, not weed, um, and started doing that and I was off to the races. So what did that look like, those races? What kind of darkness did that drag you into? What kind of negative experiences took place? Yeah, I think, um, I think for me, um, rather than maybe what would have been a healthy way to learn how to engage with other people, um, when I had those moments of complete sadness and security, a lot of which were because my parents just kind of ignored me, I knew how to make it go away. I knew how to sort of make myself feel better. So it was, it was like, um, I wish somebody would step up and help me figure this out, um, but it felt like nobody did, and so I drank. And so the deeper I got into that, the more drugs and alcohol that I used, um, kind of got introduced to God at, at the church we went to, but there was never any discussion about a personal relationship. And I think as I look back at it, the hardest thing for me was um, I desperately, like I think we all do, I think we all have this hole that we're trying to fill, and I desperately wanted to fill it somewhere, and there was just nobody to teach me how to do that. So alcohol and drugs became the way to fill that yes, hole, sir. even though they were the wrong shape. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. How how heavy did you get into the uh, to the marijuana? So um, real heavy. Um, I mean, I got to I mean, I, I got to a point where I was um, I was smoking pot every day. Um, I, I I eventually got to a point where um, I don't. know, Some people think this is funny. I'm not sure if it is or not. My dad was self-employed and owned a company, and um, so I kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit. And I realized that if I started selling pot, then I would have all mine for free. Um, so it, I got real deeply into it. And I think the other piece of it is um, then I started selling marijuana. I started selling other drugs as well. Um, and, and I found myself getting into that culture, like early teens, really getting into that culture. That's who my friends became. And I think part of what I also... Uh, I can look back at now and see, I thought these folks really liked me. The truth was they could always talk me into getting them high for free because I always had it. And I think I learned some pretty, today what I would call perverted relational skills. Um, it's all transactional, right? Um, you'll be nice to me if I give this to yes. you. And there was never any real love involved. There was never any real relationship. Um, 
it dramatically impacted my ability to connect with anybody, male or female. Um, and um, Did it become a bigger problem than your alcohol? Was it a pretty even I would, race? I would say it was pretty even. I mean, it was, I mean, I guess the story that I would tell when I give a talk like this, um, it was like peanut butter and jelly. They yeah. taste really good together. Why wouldn't you always put them together? Um, the only reason I wouldn't is if it wasn't available, but it pretty much always was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you usually know the places to go. Yes, sir. One source runs out, you know source B. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 So guide us through that just a little farther. How long did that take place with the uh, with the weed, the pot, the marijuana, slice, slice, uh, the alcohol? You've already made it clear that carried for quite a while. Yeah, so the other piece of this is that um, when I was uh, about 15 and a half, my mom got cancer. And um, they began, uh, back then, you know, they either took out a very sharp knife and cut stuff out. Um, and or uh, radiation and or a lot of pain medication. Um, I would say if there's anything, um, if there's anything I don't like to talk about, it's this, and, and, and that is that um, I had become addicted and um, I tried one of my mom's pain meds and I liked it, so I started stealing those pain meds from her. Um, that's taken a lot of work and a lot of prayer and a lot of time with God to understand I'm forgiven for that. Um, that's sort of my benchmark for how bad it was getting. So it was more than just alcohol and um, marijuana. You know, I began taking pain meds um, and um, I ended up um, kind of going to high school, but half the time I never showed up. I don't know, somehow I was smart enough to manage to graduate, get accepted to college, but it was getting worse and worse and worse. My parents were drinking more and more. My mom died when I was 19, but she was really ill from like 15 and a half till 19, so she just wasn't around. So, um, and my dad just didn't know what to do with me. Um, there was really no church affiliation. There was really no real affiliation. The only affiliation I had was with other people that were using. And I was a daily drinker, a daily user. Um, and it, it just got worse and worse. I, you know, I was starting to get in trouble, getting a lot of fights. Um, that was the beginning of a lot of violence for me. Um, I discovered, uh, I don't know, I could go if I had to. And uh, that was just one more addiction. Yes. Right? I couldn't see, you wouldn't like me. But, sorry, language, but if I was a badass, then that gave me some status, right? And, and I like that. So um, a lot of violence started to happen. Um, and um, it just felt like I'm just getting through the day. You uh, were just surviving, pretty existing, much. not yeah. living. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any goals at that moment? Was college even important to yeah, you? Yeah, well, I got accepted. I, well, I. I it's, it's kind of funny because in the middle of all that craziness, there were some things. If you lived in my house, you were going to college. Okay. That's just what you did. So I got accepted to school about um, the beginning of my uh, senior year in high school. So um, I don't know. I don't think I went to school on Fridays through most of my senior year in high school. I don't know how I did that, but that's how it was. Um, honestly, I wanted to go to college because then I knew I wouldn't have to deal with my parents. And I could do whatever I wanted to. Yeah. So um, I think that's just what we did in our house. My, I have an older brother. He went to school. He actually went to Bowling Green as well. Um, and I don't know. I think it was just like, let's go away to school, and now it'll really be fun. Um, 
and I spent five years in college. Um, that was a dark, crazy time. How's that? Um, just daily drug use. Um, I was uh, desperately trying to be like a normal guy, you know, kind of date. Um, women really were not interested in me. Um, I don't blame them. If I'd have been them, I wouldn't have been inter interested. I wasn't a catch, let's put it that way. And um, um, But I was desperately trying, because it seemed like all the other guys had girlfriends, and um, I had some bad moments with women. I mean, not, not I, don't, I don't know how you define bad, but I just um, was mean. Um, I wanted things, they didn't want to give it to me, and um, a lot of yelling, never really any violence, but I just, I just didn't know how to connect. I was in a fraternity. Um, I got the job at Sergeant in Arms because you know you could you could fight people, and um, I, to this day I don't know how I managed to sit through five years of college. Um, maybe I'm jumping farther ahead. Um, than no, you're to get good. To. But um, so I hit that year, and I'm I'm on the edge now. Maybe they're gonna you know they're gonna make me leave. Um, I actually. Uh, convinced some guys again a lot of stuff I'm not proud of um, <coughs> excuse me we discovered we could steal dorm furniture and sell it in the community I thought again pretty entrepreneurial um, I think between that and getting arrested I got arrested a lot um, but in Bowling Green it was kind of like Mayberry if you know that show Andy Griffin oh yes um, I was sort of like Otis they knew who I was I drove this red car they would pull me over they're like Dean you've been drinking I said I'm always drinking, guys. They said, go home and we won't arrest you. The campus police arrested me a number of times. They always wanted names of other drug dealers. I mean, it was just that kind of an existence. Um, and um, they finally asked me to leave. And um, I think it was somewhere between completely ashamed um, and completely defeated. Because as long as I was in school, I'm in college, and you know, yeah, maybe that's but, cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 in school, and I, uh, um, I remember, just before I got thrown out of school, I bought a whole bunch of drugs. Um, I planned to sell them and make enough money, and I ended up. We had a big party over the weekend, and I, I mean, I virtually gave it all away. Um, so I had to call my dad, and say, um, I decided to just tell him the truth. I said, Dad, I bought three pounds of marijuana. Which, uh, that was a lot of pot back then, and some other drugs. And I said, I gave it all away, and I need 500 bucks uh, to make rent in the fraternity house. They're going to throw me out. And he said, um, no, 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 that can't be true. Tell me what, what's really going on. I said, Dad, I'm telling you, that's, that's the truth. Well, I'd lied to him so much, he didn't believe anything sure. I was telling him, right? So um, he said, and back and forth, and, and finally I said, okay. Um, well, what do you think happened? He says, I think you got a girl pregnant and you need money for an abortion. And I said, yeah, dad, that's it. That's what happened. And I remember at that moment, like it happened yesterday, um, how sad that made me. The reality of the lack of relationship with my father and the fact that I was willing to lie to him and I would do anything to get that money. And then I said, yeah, and the truth is an abortion is going to cost a thousand. Okay, I'm, I'm making all this stuff up. So he sends me a thousand bucks. I bought drugs with it. Um, and it was about a month later. So it was another part of the reason I got thrown out of school. So um, I lacked like nine hours to graduate. Um, the good news is, praise God, 
made that up, right? So I went back to school and I took care of that. But, um, but I look back at all that and I, I, I just look at um, what I didn't get um, as far as a family relationship yes. was. I had no idea how to do it. Um, it was all, again, transactional, right? Um, I do this and maybe my dad will do that and there was no relation. Um, it, it, it's funny, um, I remember when I was first uh, being introduced um, to um, God and in particular in Alcoholics Anonymous, which I eventually got to, and they would pray the Lord's Prayer, um, and I would hear the word Father, and I was, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Not buying into that. No, Not no. After your experience, yeah. yeah, I have heard that many times. Just yes, absolutely. So, what came first, Christ or uh, AA? AA came first. So, um, I'll tell you. Um, I lost, uh, I lost 17 jobs um, when I left. I like to say I left school when I was asked to leave school. Um, I had 17 sales jobs because I could put a coat and tie on and I'm, you know, people like me. I got a lot of words. I got a lot of BS. And so I could get a job. I just, because, you know, it's funny when you don't work. Just couldn't keep it. When you don't work, they don't keep you, right? <laughs> right. So I'm losing all these jobs. I'm managing to get through. And um, I'm, I've lived like eight different places. Um, I... Um, I finally moved into a half a double, um, and the guy that lived in the other half of the house um, turns out was a recovering alcoholic, Tom. And um, um, I found this place. I think God brought me there. Um, I, I looked in this large rental book. Back then, you know what? Back then there was no internet. That makes me old. I remember that yes, day. Sir. Yeah, and so. Um, I mean, I think God, you know, miraculously, not for God, but for me, found this place. I go, I meet Tom. Um, he lets me move in. I move in. And um, it's funny now because Tom said, you need to know I'm an alcoholic. Um, and I love Jesus. And I don't want anything crazy going on here. And I remember thinking, oh, great. I'm going to be living next to a Jesus freak drunk. From, as I like to say, from my esteemed spot in the gutter, I was happy to look down at Tom. Um, so um, the last, this is the last night that I ever took a drink. Um, and I don't really remember any of it. This is pieced together from everybody that was around it or saw it. Um, I think what happened, or we think what happened was a guy came over because I was still selling drugs. It went bad and you know, for me, because I was pretty violent. Um, if, if you didn't do what I wanted you to do, I was probably going to hurt you. Um, I'm not proud of that, but that's, that's, that's my that's story. That's what it was. And so um, I think what happened was I think I grabbed this guy and I threw him and he held on to me through a plate glass window. Um, for some reason, there was a television set involved. I don't know where that came from. But all of that ended up going through this plate glass window into the front yard. The neighbors say the other guy got up and ran off. I'm laying on the ground, literally bleeding to death. Um, I ended up, uh, you can't see it on this podcast, trust me, it's an ugly 75-stitch scar um, that's 41 years old. It, it was a little different health system then. Sure. Um, so um, I go through the window. Um, this is when God showed up. Let me rephrase that. This is when I became aware that there was a God to show up. God had been showing up sure. throughout my life. Sure. But... Um, 
This is Tom's story. Tom says that he was driving to Richmond, Indiana from Indianapolis, and he, something told him that he needed to turn around and come home, that something terrible was happening at the house, and he needed to come home right away. Um, the math involved here, the hours involved here, he would have had to have heard that voice. Thanks for the rush, God. He would have had to heard that voice before I went through the plate glass window. Before it happened. Right. And so he shows up. I'm in the front yard, literally bleeding to death. He calls uh, the EMTs. They come. If they hadn't shown up, I would have bled to death. Um, they show up. They get me stitched up enough. Um, as I always was, what, what what's in the police report is the cops came, they tried to help me. I punched three of them. I mean, I was just crazy drunk, crazy violent. They had to restrain me. And I mean, there's blood all over the place, awful. Um, and they take me to the ER. I, again, I don't remember any of this. Um, at the ER, they said I shoved two doctors. Um, I find this funny. I. Uh, uh, um, I tried stealing some forceps. In the middle of all that, I'm taking forceps and sticking them down my pants because they make really good roach clips. <laughs> For me, that's, that's an important thing to remember, that in the middle of a moment where I could have died, that all I could think about was stealing forceps, as if this was just going to go away and I was going to go home and smoke a joint. Um, I spent two weeks in the hospital, didn't have a single visitor because I had no family knew, and, and I didn't tell anybody. And I don't know if it was me not telling anybody or I didn't have, have anybody to tell. At, at that time, I was running a nursing service. What were they thinking? Pretty good job. Um, my, um, some of my employees came to pick me up. I remember one of them mumbling under her breath, do I really work for this clown? And all I could think about was, she's getting fired and I could sure use a beer. Even through all of that stuff, I still just couldn't see it. Still no ownership. So I come home, and, and Tom says, I want you to go somewhere. Tom was a veteran, and I thought he was taking me to some veteran's place, right? So I was a little worried he was going to throw me out of the house because it was pretty torn up, right? And so I said, okay. So I, I did what I always do. I put my coat and tie on. I'm, I'm going to go, you know, slay him here, right? We go into this building. Um, I'm thinking it's a, it's a veterans club of some sort. We talked for about what seemed like three hours. They told me later it was 10 minutes. I was upset because they weren't getting me a beer. Um, I went down the stairs and then I looked up and I don't know how I didn't see it, but I saw AA and I was mad and I was pissed. And um, I'm like, they think I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, so I left, I go home. Tom is right behind me, knocks on the door. He goes, what'd you think? I said, what do I think of what? He goes, well, that's an AA club. He says, I told you I'm in recovery. Actually, we didn't say recovery back then. He says, I told you I was a drunk and I'm not drinking anymore. He said, I think you are too. And I said some you know, nasty words to him. Of course. And he said, well, here's the deal. You're not gonna live here anymore if you don't go to an AA meeting. And I, I started to say no. I think this was God prompting me. I said, okay. So I went to a meeting um, on a Sunday. It was the next day. Um, it was a speaker meeting. Um, I walk in, I sit down, I'm feeling pretty bad, I want to be left alone. Um, guy gets up, uh, Gary, and uh, huge guy, like 6'5", about 280. Looked like a badass to me, so that connected for me, you, right? Cause, yes. Because that's who I think I am. Um, he starts talking, and I'm like, um, 
blah, 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 right? And um, he stops, like mid-sentence. It felt like he was stopping for me. Of course, everything was about me those you days, bet. right? Um, he says, maybe what would help is if I told you a little bit about how I was feeling. And I'm thinking, oh, great, touchy-feely. I'm not interested in that. He stands up. And now I see how he's really big. So I'm listening because I'm kind of thinking, if I don't listen, this guy. You, you better know. listen. And uh, he stands up, moves away from the podium, and he says very dramatically, takes his hands and kind of puts them like around his stomach and says, I felt like I had this hole in my stomach that the wind blows through all the time and it won't go away. I can't drink enough. I can't smoke enough. It won't go away. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I asked somebody in AA if they ever felt like that, and they said, absolutely. And I asked him, how did you make that go away? And he says, you don't make it go away. It's a hole that needs to be filled. Now I'm listening. And, and, and the fact of the matter is I burst into tears because that was me. I immediately, at least in my head and my heart, I went from I'm this badass guy to realizing I'm a terrified little boy. I'm 27 years old and I'm a terrified little boy and I don't know what to do. Um, wasn't ready for God yet, but I was ready for something. I needed to have something. Um, so I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and I started working the steps. Um, I started looking at the this, this stuff where it talked about you got to find a power greater than yourself. I live in Indiana. I knew what they meant was Jesus and I'm not interested. Right? God's kind of cool. This Jesus stuff is over the top for me. I'm not interested. Um, and I didn't drink and my life got better. And I mean, it was coming along, but I was about six, six, four, five or six months sober. And all of a sudden my sponsor, all he wants to talk about, and he's sober like 10 years, all he wants to talk about is Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that. And I'm thinking, do I have to find a new sponsor? This is, I'm not interested in this. He said, I'd like you to go to um, this weekend retreat with, it, with me. Bernie had earned the right for me to never say no to him because I knew he loved me and he cared for me and he, he saved my life because, I mean, I just, I wouldn't have kept going to AA. I wouldn't have had all the things that happened. In the middle of all that, a whole other story, um, I met my wife-to-be and got married. So my life is really getting good. Frankly, what was my wife thinking at that point? Marrying me at less than, you know, like six months sober. Um, so... Um, I agreed to go. Um, there was actually two of us that Bernie invited. We drove down the night before and left a car. And our joke at that point was just in case there's any snakes involved, because that was our, you know, that was a, this is going to be a charismatic, scary experience. We're not interested in that. If it gets too crazy, we got a car. He left, and I stayed. Um, and the last day I was there, um, God's working on me. I'm crying a lot. Um, I'm, I'm understanding that as good as my life is, that hole hasn't really gotten filled yet. Um, and when it did, it was a real temporary thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, a guy started reading um, John 14. And, um, and it was the first time that I realized that all this stuff, I'd heard this stuff before, um, but it was like, when I heard that, um, there's a mansion for you. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but for me. 
It was the first time I heard it personally. That God loved me so much that, that Jesus loved me so much that, and that it wasn't about any of you other crazy, Jesus freak loving, boring um, people. It was about the reality that no matter what I had done, there was forgiveness. This was personal. Yes. And I just never, I, and uh, you know, I don't think it really matters um, whether I, I was unwilling um, or I just couldn't hear it, but I did then. Um, and it was an easy decision. You know, I made that decision. Um, my uh, So that was how long ago? Um, 38 and a half years ago. I was sober about a, okay. sober about a year and a half when I actually, actually made the decision. So at present, 40 years in recovery as an alcoholic, you accepted Christ 38 and a half years ago. And got married at 39 years. So okay. the math's important. Sober, married, safe. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Where does that have you today? Tell us again <coughs> what life looks like. How's the sobriety playing out? What about those moments? Yeah, let's take another five or ten here okay. and share. Um, so... Um, let me let, let me tell this story and, and it'll make the sense. Okay. So about 11 years ago, um, um, I've got a really good job, the kind of job you can retire from. Um, we 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 made little thermal rolls that you get at any store. You buy something, they give you a receipt. There's a little roll inside that register. Yes. Um, we made those rolls, and um, I'm the vice president of sales. Big job, great job, lots of money. Um, it's putting my kids through college. I, you know, I get married. I have two kids at that point. Um, and I'm sitting at my desk and I got the biggest order of my entire life from Amazon. Everybody comes in, they're all excited. Dean, this is great. You've worked six months to get this order. Isn't this wonderful? And um, everybody left my office and I'm sitting there and I was just like, eh. And I thought, why am I not excited about this? And um, called my sponsor. I said, Bertie, what's, he goes, he goes, you know, um, and I said, no, he goes, yeah, you do. He goes, you've talked about this. I said, so am I not supposed to be doing this job? He said, I'm not gonna tell you if you're supposed to have this job. I said, what's God telling you right now? And honestly, it kind of pissed me off. I was like, I don't, no, no, no. Um, and, and I thought about it, and then, and then as, as Bernie taught me to do, you know how somebody, sorry, I digress. You know how somebody says, would you pray for me? Bernie taught me, if. If you ask me to pray for you, do it right then. now. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So um, he said, well, let's talk to God. I'm like, okay, here it comes. And Bernie just, short prayer, God, we need some wisdom here. What's going on? Um, and it came to me. I'm not supposed to have this job anymore. I'm supposed to do what was done for me. And it was clear because Bernie was helping me then, like he always did. I was supposed to turn around and do something full time that involved helping other people get clean and sober and find Jesus. So um, uh, I made a couple phone calls. I managed to go about maybe 10 hours and I went in the next day and I quit. I didn't have a job. I had no idea what it looked like. Um, the best advice I got was if God's telling you what to do, you better do it. What about if God's telling you what to do, you better go do it. Um, maybe that's not for the rest of y'all, but that's what I did. Um, and honestly, I stumbled around a little bit trying to figure out what to sure. do. We'd save a little bit of money. We could kind of get away with that. My wife's a therapist. She was working. Um, and I, I, I just started getting into um, 
the world of recovery. Um, probably made a couple bad choices, um, but eventually, and I, I fought this honestly, but eventually it was very clear. I know about sales and marketing and the reality is, is that treatment centers have to tell people what we do. Right? I'm in a conference right now where part of what we're doing is telling people, here's a service that we can provide you because we want to help you. And so my job became primarily just going around and telling people, here's who we are, this is what we do, let me help you. Gotcha. What I really get to do is have that one-on-one, -on -one, um, which, which I learned from God is what I really needed. I get to do that, some would say it's God with skin on. I get to share my yep, story, yep. I get to tell them what's going on. And um, so today I work for a treatment center, um, I do some groups, um, I'm in the process of trying to open up a couple sober living houses. Um, I get to spend a lot of time with my church, we started a new church a couple years ago, um, so I, I get to be engaged there. Um, thank you God, my life is just stupid good. Awesome, Yeah. awesome. Let's wrap this up. Yes sir. Our podcast titles, Faith, in your recovery. What do those four words mean to you? So here's what I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous um, and then came to know in church. What Alcoholics Anonymous would say is, you gotta find a power greater than yourself. You cannot do this on your own. And I fought that forever. Um, the truth for me today is, I don't have to, I get to. And God doesn't require me to do that. God excitedly calls me to do that. And so what I get to do is I get to recover with God's help, love and mercy, and I get to share that with others. There is no, if I have recovery without faith, I've set the bar so incredibly low. And I'm grateful that I don't have to do that today. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate your honesty, appreciate your sharing your story, taking this time out of your day to, uh, to offer it to folks out there as one more way to show them a light, to yes, lead sir. them along uh, through Christ. It takes our words. I am convinced that all things belong to Christ, but I'm also convinced he may give us the field, but he expects us to drive the tractor, okay? And we've got to be yes. out there in the dirt of the world working in yes. his name and on his behalf. That's what you're doing. We appreciate that. Know you're going to continue to touch, change, and save lives. God bless you. Have a great day. Take care. Amen. Amen. Thanks for you guys.